Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to Cover Story by New Books Network, a podcast where we talk with people who write, edit, and publish long-form journalism. My name is Aga Popenda, and today we're talking with Becca Andrews, who covers reproductive rights for Mother Jones, and about her uh, 2019 story titled uh, "When Where Raw Doesn't Reach When Choices Are." 1,221 miles away, the nightmare of getting an abortion in the South and uh, and a follow-up to that story. Uh, hi, Becca. How are you? Thank you so much for this. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, could you uh, start by um, telling us about yourself, uh, how you ended up covering reproductive rights for Mother Jones? Oh, man. Um, well, I started at Mother Jones in the fellowship program. Uh, so I was a fact checker for the magazine. And the first magazine feature I ever fact checked was this brilliant piece by Molly Redden um, about how women were accessing abortion or weren't being able to access it in Texas um, ahead of the whole women's health case back in uh, the case was in 16. The story was in 2015. Um And it was really just like the perfect crash course to covering reproductive rights. I'd always had an interest in women's health and sexuality. Um, So this was just such a natural fit for me. And and Molly was an incredible guide to, to this whole new world. And I sort of got hooked, I guess. I've been covering it ever since. Uh, Were you always planning to become a journalist? Yeah, I decided that I was going to be a journalist in the eighth grade. Wow, wow. <laughs> I uh, did like a job shadow thing at uh, the newspaper in the next county over because our like county newspaper where I'm from was not big enough to do something like that. Um, and I just like, I fell in love with the pace of the newsroom and I fell in love with the chatter and the deadlines and the excitement and the idea of not you know, being stuck at a desk all day, you know, being out in the world and, and living life and being able to write about it. Um, and Sounds so great. I sort of yeah. doggedly pursued that ever since. Sounds amazing. And uh, uh, can you explain more about your connection and interest in the South? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in the rural South, uh, a really small town called Bells. Um, and, you know, something people don't think about a lot is the barriers to healthcare in the South and, and how difficult it is to, to access what you need. Um, and, and that's where a lot of my interest in women's health comes from, because growing up, you know, I didn't know very much about my body. I didn't really know very much about sex. Everything was sort of presented as don't do it right, because God will be mad at you. And yeah, that's not super helpful when you're a teenager and you've got all these hormones and you're like, what is happening to my body? Um, and it's sad, you know, like I know, I know women that I grew up with who still like, just don't know the basic ways that their body functions or have never been to an OBGYN. Like it's, I, I see it as a crisis, frankly. Um, uh, okay, and this particular piece, uh, 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 you know, uh, your interest in uh, where reproductive rights do not reach, essentially, um, uh, how this piece came to came to being. Mm. Um, I have this habit of just calling people who I think are really cool 
and talking to them for a while. That's sort of how I got to know Lori. I just knew about her uh, her abortion fund and because I have such a heart for the South and for the rural South and, and for like low-income women and women of color in particular. Um, I just called her up and was talking to her about her work. Um, we talked on and off for the next year. Um, I really believe in building trust with sources. Um, so, you know, during that year, I was asking if it would be possible to do a ride along uh, with her and her team. Uh, and, you know, it was obviously something that I couldn't really ask for right off the bat. You know, it was something that we sort of had to come to. And we had a lot of discussions about the power dynamic there. And, you know, she felt sort of awkward about helping someone access abortion, but then also like asking them to open themselves up to a reporter. Um, eventually we had Kate and Kate was trying to get an abortion for the first time and just like had never really even thought about how hard it is to access abortion care. And she told Lori, Hey, you know, what can I do to help? And so Lori was like, well, there's this reporter. Um, and the next thing I know I was on a plane headed to Little Rock. Um, so that's kind of how that happened. Yeah. Uh, so for someone who doesn't know much about it, could you uh, tell us a bit about the, uh, you know, reproductive rights or abortion access policy in the South in general, and maybe its history and, you know, um, how it changed over time and where we are right now? Yeah, totally. Um, so the, the Southeast is often sort of referred to as the Bible Belt, so it comes with a lot of... Um, Policy comes with a lot of religious motivations, and it's been that way for quite some time. Um, so out of these state legislatures, you're seeing a lot of anti-abortion policy being passed, particularly in an effort to try to generate a Supreme Court case to try to overthrow uh, the right to an abortion at the federal level. Um Again, like this is a rat race. It's been going on for a long time, but it's really heated up in the past couple of years as the makeup of the Supreme Court has changed. Now there's a conservative majority, so uh, it appears that there's a better chance of overturning abortion rights at the federal level. So, you know, right now the, the case before the court is out of Mississippi. Uh, it's brought by Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is the only remaining abortion clinic in Mississippi. Uh, and, you know, like Mississippi, not only, so when we talk about abortion barriers, we're often talking about, um, these regulations. So we're talking about 24 hour waiting periods or 72 hour waiting periods where, you know, a woman has to go to an abortion clinic, have her first appointment and then wait at least 72 hours mm -hmm. or whatever the limit is, and then have to to make a trip back. So for, if you think about it for rural women, that's a really big deal because they're traveling a few hours to get that care and they have to go back again. And so you think about childcare, you think about time off work and, you know, all of these things that you have to, all these logistics that you have to manage in order to get care. Clinics are also under extreme regulatory stress. Um, they're, they have to spend money meeting these regulations that have nothing to do with providing abortions. Uh, so no one, no one like goes into abortion provision to make money, right? Like everyone's sort of mm -hmm. limping along. 
Um, there are more, you know, there are disinformation that abortion providers are legally required to give their patients uh, stuff that isn't true about abortion. Um, that it's just, you know, like any like barrier that you can possibly think of has been set up and it's all sort of motivated by this idea that uh, conservatives hold that abortion is murder and that abortion is a sin. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously I disagree with that, but that's where it comes from. Yeah. And how bad is Mississippi when compared to other states? For example, if we were building a a chart of 50 states, uh, uh, is uh, Mississippi at the very bottom or? Hmm. That's sort of hard for me to say Mm -hmm. off the top of my head. I mean, certainly Mississippi falls into a category that Mm -hmm. I like to call a post-road category, where broadly for most people in Mississippi, the the right to an abortion exists in name only. It's so difficult to get it. I think a lot of states in the Southeast and in the Midwest sort of fit into that category, but I I don't know that I could rank them off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Um. I was wondering about uh, your own gender and uh, how your gender, what role does it play in in reporting and developing sources? Honestly, I was wondering if it's possible to cover uh, those topics, for example, being a man. What do you think? (laughs) I wish more men covered it. Like, Mm -hmm. I wish more men paid attention to it because I think it's ridiculous that it's, it's framed as a women's issue, right? Yeah, I mean, I am very confident in my own abilities as a reporter. I've been covering this for a long time. I don't really think my gender has a lot to do with it, except, you know, I feel the the threat of my body being regulated in this way. And, you know, that is certainly something that is always in the back of my mind, particularly because I grew up the way that I grew up and I'm covering the sort of people that I grew up with and, and the communities that I really care about. Um, Yeah, but I I do think that, like, you see this thing in newsrooms and in media broadly where, like, anyone covering reproductive rights or reproductive justice is female. And it's kind of like, why why is it like that? You know, like, I I also cover politics, which is sometimes gendered male. You know, like, I cover all kinds of things. So I, I find it very frustrating that women are sort of expected to to carry the emotional burden of, of covering this stuff, because if we don't, then no one else will. And our newsrooms never really care about it until there's a big like court ruling or something dramatic happens, even though it's been a steadily building crisis. Um, so how do you avoid your own outrage <laughs> when doing your job? You know, like uh, you reporting, uh, you report on something that uh, you uh, clearly feel passionate about, but uh, uh, at the same time, you know, um, I was wondering, uh, have you, um, have you found, what is the best reaction that you found when you're confronted, you know, with, uh, someone, someone's rage or someone's strong feelings regarding those topics? Mm, that's a good question. Um, in interviews, I try to be very even keeled, even keeled, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very important, especially particularly if I'm talking to someone like Kate in the story, you know, who's really just been through a lot of trauma and is still processing it and is trusting me with that trauma. I think it's very important to 
to just listen and to just be there and to not make her have to deal with any of my feelings um, on top of her own. Like that, that feels very, very crucial to me as a journalist. Um, as far as like rage and outrage, you know, I don't, if, if someone is angry, like say I'm out in the field at a clinic and there's like, uh, an anti-choice person. Right, that's kind of what I like meant. Yelling. That's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. a scene I had in mind. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to scream back at them, right? Like I'm sure, not sure really going to do anything. I'm just going to like listen to them, maybe ask a question if I have it and move on. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm very intentional about not getting riled up in those circumstances. That's not to say that I don't experience any emotion. That's not to say that I don't mm-hmm. feel any anger. Um, luckily I write for Mother Jones and yes. you know, at Mother Jones like, I get to be really voicey and I get to say that like shit sucks when it sucks you know like it's it's really nice to have that freedom and to be able to sort of like um, channel my emotions that way yeah. that makes sense so you've been writing for Mother Jones about reproductive rights since at least 2010 I believe I tried to scroll down oh okay so your oldest stories, but uh, anyway, uh, I was wondering, um, you've been up, uh, observing what's going on in the uh, politics of reproductive rights in the recent years. Uh, uh, do you think that we are getting close step by step uh, uh, to abortion being illegal in the US? Do you think that this, uh, this fear is actually there on the horizon? I do. Um, I think particularly with this latest Supreme Court case, it's very concerning to me. A lot of the legal experts and the pro-choice advocates that I talk to who are a lot smarter about this stuff than I am say that they feel like the court would not have picked up this case if they weren't looking to overturn precedent, which is a huge deal in abortion rights. Everything about abortion rights sort of hinges on this idea of the precedent that was established, particularly in uh, the first case, the legalized abortion in the U.S. Roe v. Wade, and then a follow-up case that came uh, in the 90s called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Um, So it looks bad. Uh, I will say that, you know, if you look at the history of abortion in this country, even when abortion was not legal, White women, particularly like white middle class women and up, were not the ones who were really suffering the consequence. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it was hard. It was hard for them, too. But I actually was just reading before um, we had this call about how, um, you know, in 1972, before Roe was passed, 64 percent of all abortion deaths were women of color. Um I think it's really important when we talk about the future of abortion rights in this country that we acknowledge that the people who are really going to be hurt by a lack of access and by abortion becoming illegal will be low-income women and women of color because they can't afford good care. Mm -hmm. Like they can't afford to fly to California where it will always be legal and get care. Mm -hmm. Uh and my next question would be the would be this: uh, If that happened, that uh, you know, abortion would be at some point illegal in the U.S. Do you think that American women will uh, accept it, or will that be the end of certain politics and a big uh, revolt? Oh, I think there will be a revolt. 
I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think about like the women's March in 2016 Mm -hmm. and also just this amazing legacy that, so I'm I'm writing a book about abortion rights and the first third of the book has to do with the history of abortion rights, particularly before it was legal in this country. And just like the incredible organizing and education efforts that went on in this country that just don't get talked about, they were phenomenal. And I think, you know, one thing that's really helpful about the internet is that you can organize across the country, like you can organize across time zones, and it's not like this complicated phone tree type thing. So I think there's a lot of power in that. And I think we would see, um, I think we would see a significant uprising. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about your book. Uh, uh, what are you working on at this particular moment? How close you are to the finish? When can we expect it? Well, um, <laughs> it's supposed to come out in uh, maybe like January, early 2023. Um, so I'm right sort of in the thick of it, trying to to finish the manuscript by the end of the year. It's called No Choice. Uh, it'll be published by Hachette's Public Affairs in print. Um, and basically what it does is it looks at uh, how people accessed abortion care in the U.S. before it was legal. And then it, the second bit of it looks at how people like Kate in Mississippi from from the Mother Jones cover story access abortion and, and draws parallels between um, when abortion was legal in the United States and what it's like to live in these you know, post-Roe states. Uh, And the third bit of the book gets a little bit more into the activism and the future of activism in reproductive justice and um, sort of the legal machinations that are happening. Uh, Okay. And um, I wanted to also ask, uh, what is writing to you? Uh, Meaning that uh, do you consider yourself mostly, you know, a reporter and uh, you don't care about the form in which the reporting has been delivered or do you, genuinely enjoy writing and you uh, write your book with pleasure or mostly for the for the content I love writing I've loved writing and storytelling Mm -hmm. since I was a toddler Um, and and, you know like I'm southern so like storytelling is like a really big part of our culture Um, and I think that's part of it but yeah like I very much see writing as a craft I I always have I'm not I was never going to be a good fit as like a traditional newspaper reporter, someone who's just sort of spitting out like the words as, as things happen. Um, not, not to say there's not value in that. It just like wouldn't be, wasn't a good fit for me. Um, I really, really care about prose and I really care about rhythm and I really care about telling stories in a narrative way. And I think in particularly when you're telling stories about abortion access, it's the only way to get people to really care about it, right? Because the the constant churn of legislation and the constant efforts to, you know, pile on these restrictions after a while, that's not interesting, right? Like it's just the same thing over and over and over. But if you humanize it and if you tell the stories of people who are encountering these barriers or the people who are fighting to push past these barriers and fighting to advocate for people that's a different thing. That's a more, that's, that's a story. It's more fun for me personally to tell. And I think it's also more fun to read. Yeah. Um, finally, can I ask you about your own inspirations, uh, you know, uh, reporters or simply writers that you admire, read, and, you know, 
would be able to recommend either because of their craft or because of the topic of reproductive rights? Sorry, too much. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. Um, I, Rebecca Tracer at New York Magazine is my end-all be-all. I read every single word that she writes. I think she is phenomenal and just the best writer out there right now on gender issues. Um, similarly, at New York, I also really love everything Erin Cormon does. She uh, covers a lot of repro stuff and mostly like... Uh, from the legal side of things, I think she's just brilliant. Um, gosh, let's see. Um, sorry, I'm looking at all these like old books no, no, by people I'm who sorry. like aren't around anymore, um, which is making it sort of hard to think. Uh, I, you know, as far as like nonfiction, but not necessarily journalism. You know, I think mm-hmm. if you're looking to really get into like southern nonfiction. Uh, Jasmine Ward's memoir is really incredible. I consider Jasmine Ward and Kiese Lehman to be the king and queen of Southern literature. Um, they both write essays as well that you can find. I think they both are often published in Vanity Fair, um, but they're incredible. I also read every single word that they write. They like, I just, I admire them so deeply. Sounds good. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for this. Uh, We were talking with Becca Andrews, uh, who covers reproductive rights for Mother Jones. Thank you, Becca. Thank you so much.